Welcome to another episode of the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to the referendum on Scotland's future is underway and in these podcasts we're examining the choices for the Scottish public, looking at what we do differently to Westminster already with the limited powers we do have and what we could and would do with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Angus Robertson, MSP. After a distinguished career in international journalism, Angus Robertson worked in the Scottish Parliament before spending 16 years as an MP in the House of Commons, the final 10 of which he served as Westminster SNP Group Leader. Angus was SNP campaign director for the 2007 Scottish parliamentary election, which secured the first SNP victory at Holyrood, and then in 2011 for the Scottish parliamentary election, where the SNP won an absolute majority. He was campaign director for the historic 2015 UK general election success, which saw the SNP win 56 out of 59 seats. He was elected as MSP for Edinburgh Central in the 2021 Scottish Parliament elections and appointed Cabinet Secretary for the Constitution, External Affairs and Culture. He lives in Edinburgh with his wife Jennifer, their two daughters and their two Labradoodles. Angus, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Scotland's Choice podcast. Thanks very much, Drew. It's great to join you. Angus, um, people wouldn't normally think much about the Arctic other than its natural impact. Why is it an important region? And when we talk about Arctic relations in a political sense, what does that mean? Gosh, that's quite a, that's quite a broad uh, question. I'd, I'd almost start it uh, with an additional observation, which is to highlight where Scotland is in relation to the Arctic. That might, not, that might seem like an obvious point or it might not seem like an obvious point, but to be aware that Scotland is the, the northernmost country in the world that is not in the Arctic Council. So that tells you that we're quite far north, but it tells you that we're not north enough to be counted amongst those countries that formerly lie within the Arctic. So you might imagine that all of our near neighbours, um, counting Denmark that controls Greenland, Iceland, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Russia, going around the world, obviously, United States, Canada, uh, and back. Uh, and that there are other countries that have an interest in that part of the world. But this is clearly our back, this is our backyard, our region, just mm. north of our territorial waters. Um, uh, obviously, at a time when the world is going through significant um, ecological changes, and the challenges that we face to, to um, to protect the environment. Now, that's one aspect of, of this, and there are more that we might come on to, but I think the first thing to, 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 to bear in mind is that we are very close to all of this and these changes that are going on are around us. And to understand Scotland's key geographical, geostrategic, geopolitical situation, we're a northern European country, which has the Arctic to our west, the Iceland Gap to our north, the North Sea to our east, and our territorial waters uh, meet with a great number of the, of, the, of the countries around us. And so we have this shared backyard and then on top of that, shared 
needs, interests, concerns and expectations about what it is that we are doing in relation to this northern backyard. So that's a long yeah. introduction to your initial question, which then poses the question about the, the what it is that we have in common with our near neighbours yeah. and why we should be thinking about this. And I'll just give a very short reflection on that course, before yeah. Please do. Hand, handing back the microphone. <laughs> I think we, we all know that uh, the changes in the environment are hugely challenging for all of us. And one of the particular challenges is that it is in in the northern and southern regions of the earth which are traditionally covered with ice and are extremely cold that are suffering the most dramatic changes in temperature anywhere in the world and so we're seeing the the regression of the um the uh, the, the ice um cap around both mm -hmm. the north and south poles we're seeing uh, the, the the sea levels rise uh, and that, that's a huge concern for the ecology, for the natural life that lives in these regions, but also for the rest of us who live not far away. Yeah. Point one. Point two, it also changes a number of other things. And here is one area of particular relevance to us, which is as the ice regresses, as it goes ever further north, we will see the opening up of trade routes through areas that were previously impassable and of relevance to us is what happens north of Russia mm -hmm. where future trade from Southeast Asia, so from China, from Korea and so on, Japan, instead of taking a traditional route either through uh, the Mediterranean or through the, through the south of, of South Africa, will be able to travel north via the northern route across the north of Russia, past Scandinavia and down towards Europe that's mm -hmm. obviously where Scotland lies. Mm -hmm. So there's an introduction. The changing world's important, our region's very important, and there are things that are going on that will make it ever more important in the decades to come. Well, you've just outlined why it's um, absolutely vital to keep uh, alive to this subject. Scotland, uh, the Scottish Government's produced Scotland's Arctic Framework Policy. Just for clarity, can you give us an idea of what the current Scottish Government approach is to Arctic relations? The Scottish Government has been building close relationships, both bilateral relationship with the countries of the region to discuss how they see things and how that might influence our thinking, but also with the multilateral organisations that take this region um, extremely seriously. So you have the Arctic Council that brings together all of the, the nations uh, that uh, have territory within the Arctic region itself. So we have direct relations with the Arctic Council, although we are not a member. And we also have close connections with the likes of the Nordic Council that brings mm -hmm. together the countries of, uh, of the Nordic region, for whom these are very important um, questions of, of cooperation as well. And you might say more broadly than that, although this doesn't, doesn't fall directly within the framework document, having an understanding of the likes of, of defence and security implications mm -hmm that also impact on the region and Scotland's uh, geographic location and why that is important for our understanding as well. So on a formal level, the framework document deals with our relations with the likes of the Arctic Council and that is something that First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, for example, has been a part of, uh, of its deliberations and meetings. The Nordic Council with whom Scottish Government ministers have in the past dealt with um, both on a, on a bilateral and on a multilateral uh, basis. And then going forward for us, 
working out how we can strengthen our links with uh, these organizations. So uh, as an example of that, the next uh, representative office of the Scottish Government internationally is set to be opened in Copenhagen, obviously the, the capital of Denmark. Denmark, are, um, a, um, a country that th through its footprint um, in the Faroe Islands and in Greenland has a very direct interest in, in the Arctic region, but also um, the, the, the capital city where the Secretariat of the Nordic Council is based. So it's a very specific reason why Copenhagen is particularly uh, important to us uh, in Scotland. Of course, beyond that, it's our trade links. Um, it's about innovation and it's much else besides. But in terms of our discussion now about Scotland and the Arctic and our relations with our, with our wider region, uh, that's a good example of how, of how seriously we are taking uh, our responsibilities, but also our, our opportunities and uh, I, I very much look forward to, to that office uh, opening and Scotland having an even improved and enhanced uh, connection with our regional partners. All of these um, engagements uh, help with uh, understanding and learning from other uh, nations' domestic policies. So, for example, what can we learn from the taxation systems of the Nordic nations and the benefits they bring to those governments who obviously have full fiscal autonomy, unlike Scotland? There's so much that we can learn from our neighbours. Well, the first thing to understand is it's not a monolith. These countries mm -hmm. all take a slightly different approach to their domestic policy, but also their international affairs and their defence and security arrangements. So some of these countries, for example, are in the European Union, some are not, some are in NATO, some are not, uh, and so on. But we have, uh, as the SNP, for a long time had a very close interest in what our, our neighboring nations are doing and how are they doing it. Why? Because they're all independent Northern European nations. And uh, so it's, um, uh, it is clear that they are making policy choices, which would be ones that we consider. So a very concrete example of that is Scotland's introduced the baby box, mm -hmm. a policy that was uh, first introduced uh, in Finland and uh, there are others that have um, policies um, that have influenced thinking in, in, in the SNP and then in the, in the Scottish Government as well. Most of these countries are very similarly sized. So if you look in particular, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, you're looking at countries who are in the main between five, five and 10 million or so in the case of Sweden. Mm -hmm. And so there are uh, very particular reasons why because of scale and geography and proximity, uh, these are countries that we can uh, learn from, and it they obviously show us what it's what what it's it's poten potential to do, and there may be things that we think well that just won't that won't that won't transfer uh, one for one, um, but there are many things that will, and that's why I've be, always been particularly interested in knowing what is it that our northern European neighbours have been doing, because especially in the likes of social policy. They've been groundbreaking in Europe in mm. terms of the equalities agenda, in terms of making sure women uh, who want to get back in the workforce can. Mm -hmm. that, that is a huge differential between them and us for productivity, which we know is a challenge in Scotland. So that, together with a number of other things, are, are policies that 
that we, um, we, we can be learning from. Mm-hmm. I would hope in time that there are things that we're doing that they find interesting and, uh, and opportune for them to consider and learn from Scotland. But I suspect it's only when we have the full powers of independence that we can truly compare like for like. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm very keen to suggest that everybody should be looking closely at, at what goes on in our neighboring nations to see what they're doing so that we can imagine what is it that an independent Scotland could be like if we chose to follow um, the, the path that our, our neighboring uh, nations have. And we shouldn't lose sight of also our countries in the West and North, North the Irish Republic and, uh, and Iceland. Um, obviously, different circumstances again, but these are we are in the same we're in the same region, mm-hmm. and in scale terms with Ireland, comparable Iceland, obviously a lot smaller. Um, but there are many things that we can both learn, but then also that we can do together and work well to make sure that we're delivering on on our potential. And a very concrete example of that is we're largely countries that are very energy rich, and in Scotland's case, very renewables energy rich as well. And the big opportunity for us, in addition to producing renewable energy, is how do we get it to places that don't have as much renewable mm-hmm. energy? Uh, and for the likes of Iceland, Faroes, so Denmark, uh, and then on to Scotland and connected to Norway, you can see where there is a route that we're going to have to have uh, the appropriate uh, transmission cables for us to get our bountiful renewable energy to the continental European market. And that's a very concrete area where Scotland needs to be cooperating with our European um, neighbours. We know, of course, that transmission charges in the UK are hugely detrimental um, to energy production in Scotland, and so it's going to be necessary as we move towards and become an independent state that we we are at the forefront of the technological developments that will make sure that we can we can get as much of our energy that's produced here to neighboring nations that will require it, obviously the rest of the UK, uh, that will be requiring to import from Scotland, but also the European continent that will as well. Yeah, but you're talking about uh, renewables there. Of course, in Scotland, we've overachieved despite having one hand tied behind our backs because energy policy is reserved to Westminster. So we've for years and years, we've been using the environmental powers of the Scottish Parliament to push these things ahead. You, you're talking about our Arctic neighbor, neighbours making big strides. And just before we move on from that subject, could, how could an independent Scotland put what we do now and we know about this into good use cooperating with our neighbours? Well, one of the first things that I would want an independent Scotland uh, to do is to establish full diplomatic relations with uh, all of our neighbours and that we would have diplomatic relations in all of our neighbouring nations' capitals and they would be doing the same here and would be opening embassies and and, and that is the, the normal conduit between mm-hmm. countries to make sure that one's talking to, to one another at that sort of heightened technical, technical and, and diplomatic level. And through that, you you begin to build the relations between the governments that can help deliver the policies that are required. Some of what I'm talking about is dependent on technological development uh, so that we can have um, the the, the physical connectivity um, from the north of the most northern parts of northern Europe to the continental European market. But we're in this really important geographical location so it will come through us and next to us and we have to be a part of that and um, we are significantly further ahead than the rest of the UK is both in terms of 
where things are currently now and where our ambition lies. And as you'll know, the fact that Scotland is now almost 100% um, self-sufficient through renewable energy sources alone, and we haven't even really begun at scale to produce renewable energy offshore, whether that's in wind or tidal, and and we haven't even got on to hydrogen, uh, mm -hmm. but the, the potential that we have as an energy uh, producer it means that we also need to make sure that we are connected as well as we possibly that's can indeed. be to our potential export markets. Indeed, we're, we're generating around about 97 to just over 100% of our electricity needs here in Scotland, very similar to our Arctic neighbours, um, as you point out. And of course, there is the opportunity to be part of that Nordic grid uh, as well, so that we could move power around uh, more efficiently. Just coming back to uh, what you, you said about you know the technology issues uh, a few seconds ago, and I want to examine that in a second. But before we move on from learning from domestic policy, um, we know that in the UK uh, we lag far behind in terms of pension provision for uh, people. We also lag far behind in social security. Um, in, in your view, how could an independent Scotland look to our Nordic neighbours to see how things could be done better there? First thing we need to do is understand what it is that they do. And there's a learning experience that needs to go on to understand uh, how our Scandinavian neighbours have got to the systems that they have in all other countries and well, not well, all that's right. the same. De Denmark, they... for, Denmark, for example, does 90% of your previous wage if you're unemployed. And I think Sweden's on, what is it, £30 a day? Um, you know, these are radically different to the way the UK treats, you know, the, the impending cuts again in universal credit that are coming forward. These are radically different uh, positions, aren't they? There's there's that and there's, there's other elements of their social po uh, policy that go in parallel. For example, as somebody who's relatively recently become a father again and um, had literally two weeks of paternity uh, leave, and uh, you compare that, if I was Swedish, it would be 90 days. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just think that, that our, our, our northern neighbours are just significantly further down the track when it comes to um, uh, attitudes towards uh, how, how we deal with social policy. And uh, yeah, they are significantly better at dealing with issues like uh, unemployment benefit. The, the, you know, the key thing is mm -hmm. that to have as little unemployment as possible Indeed. in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but if people find themselves in, in a position of being between jobs or for health or other reasons are unable to, to work, should not be uh, near the, um, um, the, the, the poverty line, uh, which is the case for a great many people in this country. But it, it, does so, make you, it does make you think, obviously, about the support that you're able to get in uh, similar sized independent nations like Norway uh, when they have that ability. When you look at what we're saddled with, in terms of the UK. Now, the Scottish Government done many things. You mentioned the baby pox uh, earlier, but there's free bus travel now for the uh, for the uh, under-19s, there's the free dental care, free prescriptions, all those kinds of things, um, you know, that we're doing here that are an example. But again, tied with one hand tied behind our backs when you look at the social policy that you could have when you look across at our Nordic neighbours. That's absolutely right. And um, but at the same time, we should, we should not lose sight of the fact that compared to the first independence referendum that we had in, in 2014, there have been some changes since then, which I think are quite important for the next steps that we are likely to take in mm -hmm. Scotland. So we, we now have a Scottish Government ministry uh, that deals with social security. 
and we have a Scottish Social Security Agency. And that's important because there are things that we can do which we couldn't do previously. It's mm -hmm. limited in terms of its scope. It's limited in terms of uh, what it is able to deliver, obviously trying to do as much as we possibly can do within um, both the timescale and the means of it being established. But why that's important in terms of the next step that we are likely uh, to take is with a referendum on independence that we know that's coming and the yes vote that we're going to work to deliver. We're, mm -hmm. This isn't just about having a referendum. We're wanting to, the referendum is the uh, is the, the key in the lock to be able to unlock the door to have the same powers as our Northern European nations have. And then it is to work our way uh, towards being able to have um, uh, policies implemented that uh, reflect the, the scale and scope of uh, our, our neighbouring uh, countries. I want that to happen as quickly as possible, but I think we need to uh, be, be frank um, with people that this isn't going to happen overnight. Indeed. Uh, we will be working very hard because you have to earn the means to be able to spend it, of course, to, to support uh, these policies. But the reason why Scotland should become an independent state is that we uh, are likely to be in a much stronger financial position independently than we are limited within the United Kingdom. How do we know that? Well, we know that because every single one of our neighbouring countries is wealthier as a result of the policy decisions mm -hmm. that they've been able to make as sovereign independent states. They've made different policy decisions, but they've been making the right one for their circumstances, for their countries. And, and that's exactly what what we we should be doing to to emulate them and be as socially and economically successful as they are. And one of those um, policy decisions uh, that you're talking about brings me back to what you're talking about uh, with the technology, the telecommunications and uh, new broadband technologies are another area where the Scottish government has had to intervene in Scotland as we've been left behind by the UK. Again, these are reserve things, certainly in comparison to our Nordic neighbours. Um, you know, for example, I think uh, Foria Telly, the Faroese company, wanted to use uh, put a 5G into Orkney and Shetland, yet the UK government refused that. You know, it, it, you're with, with independence, you could work collaboratively to make sure these communities get the right kinds of support across borders. Absolutely, and there, even more than that, because here's where I would be adding the Baltic states to our consideration mm. as, as Northern European nations, because what they've been able to do, take Estonia as, as, as one of the three Baltic yeah. states, what they've been able to do with technology and um, digital innovation has been to, to bring better government and governance to um, citizens, to families, um, and to, to tailor government services to work optimally for uh, Estonian citizens in a way that most of the rest of us um, are significantly further behind. Now, Estonia was able to do that partially as a result of the fact that it emerged from um, the former Soviet Union, becoming an independent state and being able to make these novel new decisions uh, uh, in a way that it couldn't previously, and that's exactly the circumstances that, that Scotland will find itself in. We do not need uh, to um, remain or become a mini-me of the rest of the United Kingdom, which is, in this respect, so far behind. Our well, the United Kingdom's already becoming a mini-me of itself, isn't it? <laughs> 
Indeed, and you know the 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 the, um, the little the, the least time that we need to remain in that circumstance, <laughs> frankly, the better. And that's why we do need to look around and and see what is it, what are the best, most innovative policies that our neighbours are able to pursue with the full powers of an independent state, and which are ones that we think would work here. Mm-hmm. And that means that we need to begin thinking like a state, acting like a state, even although we don't have all of the powers. We need to future-proof the decisions that we're making to make sure that when we do have those additional powers, that they 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 can add on, they can bolt on well to make sure that, that this is bringing the advantages uh, that people would like to see in their lives. And I think that's hugely exciting, and it means that we're we're having to think in a new way to be able to imagine... Uh, not just that which we we would ideally want, but what is practicable and deliverable, and we would be able to do within mm-hmm. a relatively speaking short number of years uh, if we secure the powers of being able to make these decisions. Which is why anybody, and there's a sort of growing group of people in Scotland that have a developing interest, uh, yes, in in the Arctic region mm-hmm. in the general sense. But specifically in our with our northern European neighbours about what is it that they're doing that is innovative, what is it that they are doing which might transfer well to, to us here in Scotland. And um I, I think we can we can only encourage that because we're not far away from one another. Yeah. Um and um, um the, the the learnings um from these other countries I think are very um uh, very opposite for us and I think we should be doing as much homework as we possibly can uh, so that when we are able to use the powers uh, that they have that we don't that we can do that and in the meantime those things that we can with our devolved powers a lot the baby box is an example of something which has been delivered which was first delivered in mm-hmm. a northern European neighboring uh, state uh, that we can that we can emulate where we we can, and hopefully in the rest of what it is that we're doing, which isn't inspired by anywhere else, that we can um, that we can have our own halo effect in our our wider region as well. Because one of the things that I think we should begin to mainstream into our thinking is why Scottish independence is a good thing for our neighbours. This isn't just yeah. about what um, what can other nations help us with by inspiration or by uh, showing a lead in, but it's also what is it that we offer uh, as a good neighbor, as a a close um, regional ally, what is it that our neighbors would wish from Scotland? And I think if we can answer that question in ourselves and also in the conversations that we have with our friends from uh, across the region, that is also going to help our transition and to becoming a, a sovereign independent country, but will also help us and them get the most out of that emerging relationship. I mean, the truth of it is the United Kingdom doesn't really look north. I mean, it doesn't even really look north to Scotland, let alone uh, further north, west or east. It rarely gets above and, the Watford Gap, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. well, there's that. <laughs> and, you know, we're now being told that there's this global Britain um, as a sort of lodestar for for Boris Johnson's Brexit Britain, uh, which we all know is um, is is just not tremendously credible. But even if it were something that was credible, it's certainly not something that's looking north. It's something that looks way beyond the horizon um, and wants to create out of the post-imperial British legacy 
um, a, a UK which is able to project power and influence elsewhere in the world. It doesn't reflect on the fact that whether as Scotland or the UK, um, we're not a tremendously large nation or island. Uh, and in the, in the first instance, surely we should be looking at our immediate uh, neighbourhood to understand what it is that we should be do doing right with our neighbours. And then beyond that, of course, looking at, at what we can be doing in, 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 a, in a broader regional and, and global sense. But that's, that's kind of my starting point in, in terms of Scotland, think like a state, act like a state. Let's understand what are our key needs, interests, concerns and expectations, but also appreciating what they are for our neighbours um, because in caring for them, we are caring for ourselves, ultimately. Um, and I would wish anybody who might be listening to this podcast um, in neighboring nations, if you're sitting in, in, in Denmark, in Norway, in Sweden, Finland, in, in Iceland, in Ireland, and so on, I hope you are listening and hearing that we are thinking about the kind of Scotland that we wish to see emerge, and we want to be the best of friends, working together in our shared region and we will be a net contributor uh, to the immense challenges that we face mm -hmm. especially in the environmental front but also on the opportunities such as energy but there are plenty others um, that we could go into as well and I think together uh, Scotland being a part of of this region as a sovereign independent state will be a net gain for all of us, and I think that's a positive message that we should be sharing. You, you've rightly used terms quite frequently there, like neighbours and neighbourhood and connection and uh, so forth, to, to point out uh, that we should be outward looking. But we did a previous podcast on Scotland's Choice uh, with Stephen Gethins talking about the history uh, of Scotland and the people of Scotland having engaged in this way over the centuries. This is nothing new um, since uh, Scotland became a country. The, 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 the opportunities with the Nordic nations um, for stronger shared cultural uh, ties, we already have a linguistic and cultural heritage. Um, can those be nurtured post-independence to create deeper partnerships? And, and in your view, would there be an, an economic benefit to that as well? I think the cultural question is hugely important because culture really matters and um, it matters in different ways to different people of course, but the fact that there is a shared cultural uh, heritage and inheritance in our region, uh, think alone of the fact that our, the most northerly part of uh, Scotland's mainland is called Sutherland because it was the southern land for our Nordic neighbours is a kind of insight into the fact how connected uh, we have been. And to an extent, we kind of need to rediscover that in, in Scotland. Um, now, of course, we speak different languages across the region, but that's the norm in the world, isn't it? Uh, and that shouldn't be a barrier for us uh, working uh, across the, the full cultural palette of what it is that we do. That's one of the interesting areas, for example, of, of what the Nordic Council does. There's a lot of cooperation from education to culture. Scotland's a very cultural nation, of course, with um, uh, a, a huge number of uh, festivals. We're recording this just towards the end of the, uh, the Edinburgh festivals. And there, there has been great involvement from from people in 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 uh, the, the the northern um, region that we live. But I think there's much more that we can do, 
and that's hugely exciting. There are things that you might not immediately think about in this context that, that we can also learn. So take, for example, um, screen broadcasting, mm -hmm. uh, the making of films or TV series. Now, this is, a, this is a massive business, and it involves literally hundreds of millions of pounds of investment. If you have the studios, if you have a skilled workforce, and if you have production companies and broadcasters who are keen to make films and TV series. And in recent years, we've been able to see how the, the likes of Denmark especially, but it's also involved the Norwegians and Swedes and others, have become hugely successful in producing great drama. And Borgen, a small the bridge, state things like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Indeed, the bridge and and uh, Borgen and you know there's a long list of yeah. it's not just Scandi noir, noir. There are lots <laughs> of other genres that they've been uh, producing. But a small state broadcaster like DR in in Denmark has been able to trailblaze and show that a small northern European nation, and in their case, in a language spoken by only five million people has been watched by hundreds of millions of people around the world because it's great drama. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a largely English-speaking country in Northern Europe that has, has produced and continues to produce fantastic actors and, and actri actresses, people with tremendous skills who up until now have had to largely leave Scotland because we have not had studios and we have not had a, a, a developed uh, screen um, uh, industry uh, in Scotland. All of that is now changing, and that's hugely encouraging. We now have uh, large-scale studios in Leith. We have uh, studios in Glasgow and in between in Cumbernauld and in West Lothian, and there are more to come. And this is an area where I think we can learn a lot from the Danes and others who have been doing this successfully already. And I'm hugely um, ambitious in this area as Scotland's culture minister mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we have the full benefit of being able to make uh, film and TV productions in Scotland because it's, it's great that we have legions of people who've kind of made it in, in film uh, internationally, but it's a huge shame that up until now we've not been able to sustain a domestic um, uh, broadcast uh, sector with the scale and reach that I certainly have the ambition to see mm -hmm. and for the first time we can actually imagine coming about because especially with the streaming services, your Amazons, your Netflix, your um, Apple TV and, and, and there are others besides, they are voracious in their need for content and if we can produce con good content and we know that we can with facilities that we are now, we now have in place, we've got beyond the market failure that was previously in um, in Scotland, and unfortunately, in significant part, because the likes of the BBC did not invest enough in Scotland to sustain an industry, that is in itself beginning to change. The mm -hmm. bit of pull, a bit of push. I want to be, I want to encourage them to do more, and 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 not just remind them about slightly an embarrassing track record in the past. So through pull and push. Let's make sure that we get those who can commission to commission more. Let's emulate what our northern European neighbours have been able to do. And let's overtake them um, by producing even more uh, content. That's a really good example of using the experience of our, of our neighbours uh, to show us what is possible, to let us imagine what we previously couldn't see as being possible. 
uh, and and make that come about as a reality. And that that will reflect hugely on us in Scotland being able to see ourselves reflected in film and TV um, in ways that hasn't been uh, the case as much as it as it should be, um, but also to the rest of the world. Um, and that not just one in, in one genre, but across the piece. And that, that in its own way will also impact mm -hmm. in, in other cultural forms that I think with the support and, and help of Creative Scotland, Screen Scotland, the Scottish Government and, and others, we will help make, make sure that, that Scotland's cultural um, offering is something that is able to be enjoyed, not just at home, but internationally. And that's that's the, the, the cultural diplomacy mission that I'm keen to support, but I suspect will be the subject of another podcast that I'll be happy to come back and speak to you about at a later stage, Drew. Well, on that IMAX vision of uh, the future for Scotland, I think we'll uh, leave it there. Angus Robertson, thank you very much for joining us today on the Scotland's Choice podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, Drew. Well, there we have it. Scotland is the world's most northernmost non-Arctic designated nation and we share many of the same values with our Arctic neighbours. Hugely successful initiatives from the Scottish Government, such as the Baby Box, have been inspired by similar programmes in Scandinavian countries. We could do much more with the learning and experience, but are currently being held back as part of the UK. Similarly, under a social security system mostly controlled by Westminster, we can't make all of the choices that we'd like to. The UK lags behind many of these countries in social security policies and independence would give us the opportunity to choose a different path to ensure that no one is left behind and to collaborate with our like-minded neighbours on things like renewable energy and technological improvements. Again, something which the UK government has effectively blocked. We could also learn from examples set by Denmark, Norway and Sweden in promoting Scotland as an attractive nation in which to produce films and TV shows, an industry which could be worth hundreds of millions of pounds to our economy. My thanks to Angus Robertson MSP and to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm -hmm.